The scripture reading today is from Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand and gives it and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At the beginning of another year in which the plague of the last two years is still with us and in which political and social divisions in our nation and the world are constantly central still in the, the news, it's really vital to remember, I believe, that the God we believe in is a redeeming God, a God who longs for us to live in hope and not fear despite the circumstances of the world around about us, who has the power to take the mess we make out of life and out of the world and somehow turn the evil into good, the darkness into light, the decay into the eternal, and the trivial into the significant. I can look back over a number of occasions in my life over the years when I've seen this kind of redemptive power of God at work in my own weakness. One occasion was when I was at seminary, and I had a requirement for my Master of Divinity degree in Christian education and I didn't want to fulfill the requirement. The topics that I had to choose from seemed to me to be rather boring, and some of them looked rather like hard work, and I really didn't want to do that. So I was getting uh, in my mind, thinking about how I could work around this requirement, and I stumbled on a course which was allowed for that requirement, and it was entitled Leadership Seminar. Leadership seminar. I just thought to myself, oh, we're going to just sit around a table and chat. This sounds good to me. And besides that, I was 23 years old, and I thought that I knew everything there was to know about leadership. So I said to myself, this is exactly what I need. I might as well give it a try. It ended up being one of the best decisions of my life. In fact, looking back, I don't know how I would have survived in ministry had I not taken that course which exposed my enormous ignorance of leadership and of people and of congregations in a thousand ways and introduced me to the primary business guru of that time, 40, 50 years ago now, Peter Drucker, who wrote a book called The Effective Executive. The Effective Executive. Among the many images in that book, that became seared in my mind is the image of a ladder. The image of a ladder. And somebody working hard to climb that ladder to the top. And Drucker's comment about the ladder, he said, what good is it? He asked this question, what good is it if you're working hard to climb some sort of a ladder? Maybe it's on a wall that you're going to paint. Maybe there's something at the top that needs to be fixed. 
What good is it if you're working hard to climb some sort of a ladder and it's on the wrong wall? You spend all your energy climbing this ladder and it's on the wrong wall. He says in the book, your responsibility as a leader of people, as an executive, is not just to work hard, but it's to make sure that people are doing the right thing, that their ladder is on the right wall. It's easy to be busy. We're all busy. Life is busy. So much for us to do. But he asks, are we doing the right thing in order to be effective? To put it in the context of the new year, in the context of our scripture passage that we heard just a moment or two ago, is this our prayer for the year ahead of us? That God would redeem all of our weaknesses, all of our poor decisions, all of those things that we ought to do that we never get around to do, that God would, by his grace, redeem all of those things and make us effective servants of Jesus Christ. Says Jesus to us, you are all the salt of the earth. You are all the light of the world. Let your light so shine before others that your life is effective. That others may see your good works and see through them God. Give glory to God in heaven. Let us bow before this God in prayer. Let us pray. Holy God, redeeming Savior, we come before you in need of your help and asking that you would make our lives effective in the year that lies ahead of us and that you would take your word in Holy Scripture and use that word by the power of your Spirit and our common life together so that we could serve you faithfully. Hear this our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our sermons in the first few months of 2022, we're continuing our series, which we began in the fall, focusing on the central teaching of Jesus in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters in Matthew's Gospels, chapters 5, 6, and 7. You want to find the core of Jesus' teaching in other places as well. The parables are scattered all over the place. But there is this core of teaching called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Gospel of Matthew. And this has been our focus and continues to be our focus in the months that lie ahead of us. We began in the fall looking at the preface, the opening statements to the Sermon on the Mount that we call the Beatitudes, statements about God's plan for our happiness. God's passion and desire for our happiness. And this is what God wants for us. And that reminds us that no matter what else Jesus tells us, no matter how hard it is to follow what he has to say, Jesus' passion in teaching us is that we know the happiness for which we were created. The joy for which we were created, the well-being for which we were created, whatever the word is you choose to have. This is what God wants for us, and it lies within the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is at the core of his understanding when he says to us in the Sermon on the Mount that we are salt and light. However imperfect we are, he can redeem our lives to be salt and light. This is why he has come to us, 
so that our lives could be effective in the service of our Lord Jesus Christ. Salt, of course, does at least a couple of things, maybe more than this, but at least a couple of things. It adds flavor and enjoyment to a meal, right? So the right amount of salt put in a meal, you say, hmm, that was tasty. Doesn't always have the right amount, but if it's the right amount, we say, yeah, that was just, just perfect. That was great. And then, too, of course, salt preserves food from going bad. Preserves food for the long haul, sustains the value of the food into which the salt comes. And this, I think, Jesus is saying is to be the same way for our lives. He calls us to impact the lives of others just as salt impacts something other than itself. To bring flavor to the lives of others, meaning and purpose, enriching their lives in some way or another. He wants to use our lives to sustain others for the long haul. Not just for ourselves, but our happiness lies in our effect, our impact on the lives of others. And the same sort of thing, of course, is at play when it comes to the image of light. Light is what we need. Light is what anybody needs. When darkness engulfs us, when we're in some sort of a cave or some sort of a, a tunnel, we need light to see the world around about us. We need light to know that there's hope at the end of the tunnel, to see the way ahead, to find the guidance that God wants for our lives and the sense of possibility in the future. And that's what hope is that God has for each of us and wants each of us to have. Jesus teaches not only that he is the light of the world, the ultimate source of light in the world, the ultimate source of hope in the world, but he says to us that we are the light of the world as well, that we are to impact the lives of others just as he wants to impact and has impacted the lives of others, to be a source of hope and guidance and liberty for those around about us. I suspect all of us would really like to be like that, salt and light. If someone were to say to us at the end of this year, the end of our lives, at the end of this day or next week, you know, you've really made a difference in my life or in their lives, we would say, really? I mean, that's surely how we want it to be, that I, we, you, we made a difference, an impact in the lives of others for Jesus' sake, that we did that? Yeah. Ah. That's where our joy and our happiness surely lies. Some of you may remember the article written by columnist David Brooks a few years ago, in fact, in 2015, called The Moral Bucket List, part of a book that he wrote called The Road to Character. But in the article, he writes this. He says, about once a month, I run across a person who radiates an inner light. These people can be in any walk of life. They seem deeply good. They listen well. They make you feel funny and valued. You often catch them looking after other people, and as they do so, their laugh is musical, and their manner is infused with gratitude. They are not thinking about what wonderful works they are doing. They are not thinking about themselves at all. When I meet such a person, it brightens my whole day. These people remind me that there are two sets of virtues, the resume virtues and the eulogy virtues. The resume virtues are the external skills that you bring to the marketplace. The eulogy virtues are the internal ones that are talked about at your funeral. Whether you were kind, brave, honest, or faithful, were you capable of deep love? And Brooks goes on to give examples 
of what he means by telling stories about the lives of others. People who not only have resume virtues, but they also have eulogy virtues. They have external skills and they have internal qualities. They are both salt and light. And he raises up these people for us to contemplate and to think about. Sometimes though, in thinking about these people, I say to myself, well, how in the world can I be like them? Their standard seems so high. How can I measure up with all my flaws? Or perhaps a better question, how can Jesus redeem me? How can Jesus redeem us, whoever we are, as we are, so that we can become people like that, so that we can, in fact, be salt and light? Surely he has the power to do that. Where in the world does his power lie? I think if we were to ask that question to Jesus, he would turn his back to the passage of Scripture that we read and say to us, well, the answer is in the imagery. Salt and light are not only impactful and effective, but they give us the understanding of how it is possible to be salt and life buried within the images, within the words themselves. The first thing Jesus says, of course, is not that we are supposed to be salt and light. He actually says, you are salt and light. And the word you in the Greek in Matthew's gospel is a plural. You all, you all are salt and light already. This is who you are as believers in Jesus Christ. Before you do anything else, know that he calls you this. This is who we are. It is also who we are meant to be, but first of all, it is who we are. And he says to us, we have to be careful because we may not have the impact that salt and light should have if we're not careful. We can lose our taste and our light can disappear. But we are that first. That's what he says of all of us, not just them, not just the ones who seem to shine brightly, but all of us together. But then there is the question as to how we can be most impactful within this world. How in the world can we do that? But what I think binds salt and light together is one word and one command. The word is connected, and the command is stay connected. In 2022, stay connected. You want to be salt and light, you want to be effective in the service of Jesus Christ, stay connected. In terms of salt, what's abundantly clear is that there is no power in a single grain of salt. There is no power in a single grain of salt. The only way that salt can become effective is if hundreds of grains of salt combined together at the same time and the same place, connected with each other. Once in a while, my wife Curry and I sit through a movie to the very end. Hard to do on Netflix or Prime because they're always moving on to the next thing before you see the whole of the list of who's involved in the movie. But in those days when we were back in the movie theater, we would sometimes sit when nobody else was there all the way through and see all the credits rolling down the screen, not just the stars up front, not even just the screenwriter, but all of the people who helped make up the movie. Screenwriters, set designers, music composers, the wardrobe consultants, the gaffers, and who knows what else single grains, but all together. And it's stunning the sheer number that it takes to make that movie and to make it effective. Not surprisingly, Jesus, when he entered the scene, 
very quickly in his ministry, called the individual grains of salt together to compose a team of those 12 disciples. Small team, but an effective team that he enabled to be salt and light in the world despite their flaws, redeemed their flaws, to carry on his message when he in flesh and blood had left. Salt, one speck, that's what we are but we need to stay connected in fellowship with others who are connected with our Lord Jesus Christ, our fellow believers. But not only that, if salt is to be effective, it needs to stay connected as well outside the, the ring of the close fellowship and in the ring of the world. You're to be the salt of the earth. Somehow we're to throw ourselves, give ourselves, sprinkle ourselves into the world around about us as well, to be connected beyond our inner circle profoundly with others. In fact, salt really isn't effective unless it allows itself to be given away until, in a sense, it disappears in the life of the meal that it enhances and enriches and in the food that it preserves. Salt must be willing to lose itself, to become so connected to the thing that it's trying to influence, must be willing to lose itself in that if it is to be effective. In recent weeks, two great and effective senators died. One Republican, one Democrat. The Democrat that I have in mind is Harry Reid of Nevada, who in his early years was heavily involved, so the reports tell me, in the sport of boxing. In one report I heard, he mentioned not only that boxing gave him his feisty spirit, but it also was critical to him in terms of his impact and his influence. This image of getting in the ring, not just being in the observing position, watching, not even standing outside the ropes up top, but getting in the ring was the critical thing in life, no matter who was in there with you, to get there on the inside and to be a part of the game. And, of course, the same kind of thing was true of the other person I have in mind, Republican Senator of Kansas, our own Bob Dole, who chose not to be ruled by self-pity, how easily he could have stayed on the outside with his wounds from war, but jumped into the fray, getting once again inside the ring with all kinds of different people on either side of the aisle, with one thing in mind, to be effective, to get things done for the country that he loved. Whether or not we agree with these people is beside the point, but that was what they felt God had called them to do, and each of them served God with this intent. But that's what salt does, doesn't it? It only works when the grains are connected together, and it only works when the grains, as it were, give themselves away to blend in to the world around about at huge cost sometimes in order to make an impact on those around about us. And as for light, well, there is no light, as I mentioned to the children. There is no vision. There is no guidance. There is no impact unless there is a constant connection to the ultimate source of power. Without the power, there is no light. This past week also saw the death of another great world leader, Archbishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa, whose voice to end apartheid rang out loud and clear, especially in the 1980s, a decade or so before Nelson Mandela was released from prison. This past year, a new book 
came out called Desmond Tutu, A Spiritual Biography of South Africa's Confessor, written by uh, a fellow Episcopal uh, minister, Michael Battle, who lived with Bishop Tutu and his family for two years in the early 1990s. This is what he writes in the book. He says, I have observed Tutu's devout spiritual life since 1993. His early morning contemplative prayer, morning chapel, Eucharist, all continued even when he was traveling. Lavinia Crawford Brown, Tutu's personal assistant for over 20 years, recalls that Tutu would continue his cycle of prayer in cramped office spaces or on an airplane or in the airport with people just passing by. It would not matter where he was, he would pray. Battle writes, such a devotional life may be far from the minds who know Tutu as a political agent on the world stage. But for him, his daily spiritual dis disciplines were not for show, were not his means to appear holy, or to follow some kind of perfunctory religious ritual. Instead, they were his weapons that provided him with the ongoing courage and boldness, the strength and support, the energy and the decision-making ability, and the creative impulse he writes to face the monumental moments that were in his daily ordinary routine in the dysfunctional society of apartheid within which he lived. In other words, if light shone from his life, Bishop Tudu's life, in the middle of the darkness, it was because he stayed connected to the source of power behind the scenes, recharging his batteries every single day. Long ago, Billy Graham emphasized the same thing. He said, if I could only give one piece of advice to a new Christian, it would be this. Develop the discipline of spending time alone with God every day. Whether you call it your quiet time or your daily devotions or some other term, there is no substitute for a daily time alone with God. Our light will only shine brightly point others to the God who redeems our imperfect lives if we stay connected to the source. So Jesus speaks about salt and light. He wants our lives not just to be busy, but to be effective, doing the right things for him. Effectiveness looks different in everybody's life. Don't just look at somebody else and say, that's what I ought to be like. No, it's different in every single life. It depends on gifts and talents and family and friends and profession and interests, training and much more. It'll vary with our internal skills and our external qualities. It will vary with our resume virtues and our eulogy virtues, all sort of blended together, who we are and what we've been trained to do and, and what we actually do. But there's no escape from what Jesus wants for us. He names us salt and light. You are that already. Don't run away from that name. Salt, light, this is who we are in Christ Jesus our Lord. But he is concerned that we maintain that in what we do as well. And at the beginning of the year, let me ask you to make it your prayer to stay connected Keep this image in mind. Maybe the ladder on the right wall is a good one as well. But stay connected 
with each other within the church. Hard as this is in COVID, critical it is, whether it's in person or on the phone or writing a letter in whatever way we can be, stay connected with each other. And then somehow find a way to stay connected with the world that God has made beyond the boundaries of the church, the world that God loves into which he sent his son. Where can you be connected? Maybe you already are. More, more effectively in the world that God has made, giving our lives away to others. And then ultimately, staying connected to God, the source of our power, who can help us to make a difference in the lives of others, add taste to their lives, sometimes even preserve their lives, give them hope within their lives as salt and light for Christ. Let us pray. Holy God, how we bow before you and give you thanks that you are a redeeming God you take our good decisions and our bad decisions and somehow blend them into your will. And we pray for this, that in the year ahead we would stay so connected with one another, with your world and with you, that our lives would be effective in your service. Amen.